podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It is the 27th of October. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all looking forward to a pleasant weekend. We had lots of football last night, so we'll jump straight in to the Europa League. Uh, Back at Tapola 1, Freiburg 3. Vincenzo Griffo with a hat-trick for Freiburg. Petrovic scoring for Bakker to put them ahead before Freiburg woke up and then spanked the life out of them. Uh, Freiburg are a good team, and it it got overlooked how impressive a win, or at least in my opinion, it got overlooked how impressive a win that was for West Ham recently. But such is life when people don't pay real attention outside their own league. Uh, Also in Group A last night, 
Olympiacos 2, West Ham 1. Uh, for Tunis and Rodini with the goals for, for Olympiacos, Lucas Paqueta with a late goal for West Ham, but they weren't able to find an equaliser. West Ham stayed top on six points. Uh, then it's Freiburg, also six points. Olympiacos with four points. And um, Baca with one. Now, this group is going to be tough to get out of. I think West Ham and Freiburg will get out of it, but Olympiacos will be no pushover. The hard part for Olympiacos is that they've only got one home game left. They have to go to London and they have to uh, go to Freiburg and those will be difficult games. In Group B, Marseille 3, AEK Athens 1, Fatinha, um, Amin Harat and Jordan Veritois with the goals. Pineda got one for AEK. Brighton 2, Ajax 0, Joe Pedro and Ansu Fati. Brighton should have won this game fairly comfortable, but it's worth remembering. Ajax are utterly garbage this season. Uh, Marseille are top on five points. AEK have four. Brighton have four. Ajax have two. AEK are above Brighton on the head-to-head because they beat Brighton in Brighton. I would imagine... I think Marseille and Brighton will get through. I would imagine Brighton might run the table from here. I think they'll win in Amsterdam. I think they can win in Athens. Marseille home will be tough, but I still think they can win that game. As long as they go with strong teams like they did last night and they'll have players to come back, they won't have to play like James Milner. Um, in Group C, Sparta Prague nil, Rangers nil, and Aris Limassol nil, Real Betis won. So what that leaves us with is Real Betis top on six points, Sparta and Rangers both on Four points, Sparta are ahead of Rangers as things stand based on having scored more goals. Aris Limassol are bottom with three points, but they did beat Rangers and they're not a bad team. In Group D, Sturmgratz 2, Atalanta 2, the Rasmus Hoysland derby. Uh, Pras put Sturmgratz 1 up. Luis Muriel scored two to put Atalanta 2-1 up. And then some fellow whose name I can't pronounce scored to make it 2-2. Uh, Rakao won, Sporting won. Sebastian Cuates scored after 14 minutes. Piasecki scored on 79 to equalise. And the spoils were shared. So you've got Atalanta top on seven points. Sturmgratz and Sporting level on four points apiece. Now, same goal difference, same goal scored, same goals conceded, but Sporting are top based on the fact that they beat Sturmgratz in match day one. In Group E, Liverpool five to lose one. Jota, Endo, Nunes, Gravenberg and Salah. Delinga had actually equalised for Toulouse after Jota's opening, but then Liverpool ran riot. Uh, Union St. Gilos, St. Gilios, two last one. Last went one up to through Usor. Looked like it might stay that way. 84th minute penalty. Huertes with the goal, makes it 1-1. And then Christian Burgess scoring in the 94th minute to give Union the, or Union the win. Liverpool top with nine. Union second on four. Toulouse third on four. And Lask are bottom with no points. Liverpool looking very good value to get through that group with no hiccups. Group F, 
Panic and Ithos 1, Ren 2. Amin Guri and Arno Kalimundo with the goals for Ren. Ioannidis scored a penalty for Panic and Ithos, but they couldn't find an equaliser. Uh, Maccabi Haifa versus Villarreal was postponed and is scheduled to be replayed on December the 6th. It remains to be seen if Maccabi Haifa can take part in their next two games, which are due to be home games. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. Uh, Renner top, Panikonaito second. Both have played an extra game, six points, four points. Villarreal, three points, but only two games played. Maccabi, one point, but only two games played. In Group G, we had Roma 2, Slavia Prague 0, Bove and Lukaku with the goals, and Sheriff Tiraspol 1, Servette 1, Crivelli with the opener for Servette, and Kea with the equaliser for Sheriff. Roma are through, guaranteed qualification, 9 points, Slavia Prague of 6, Servette and Sheriff only have 1 each, Sheriff are bottom based on uh, goals conceded. Yeah, because their goals conceded is an atrocity with nine. Um, finally, then, the last group <clears throat> is Group H. Molda 5, Hacken 1. Gulbranson, Ekrum, Brevik, and Bjornback with the goals. Ekrum actually got two. Uh, Sonko had equalized for Hacken after Gulbranson's opener, but then Molda just showed their quality, showed their superiority and ran out comfortable winners. Bayer Leverkusen 5, Quarabeg 1. This is a really impressive result because Quarabeg probably the second best team in the group. Florian Wirtz scored to put Bayer 1 up. Baramov scored from the penalty spot to equalise. And then 2 from Grimaldo, 1 from Boniface and 1 from Tapsapa gave Leverkusen a comfortable win. Leverkusen 9 points, Quarabeg 6, Molde 3 and Hacken with zero points. So that is the Europa League. That is where we stand right now. We will jump in then to the Europa Conference League and see what's what. In Group A, Lille 2, Slovan Bratislava 1, and my Faro friends 3, Olympija Luz- Lublano, Lublana, I can never say that word properly. Uh, it's an international capital. You think I'd learn how to say it? Um, Lubiana, Lubiana, I think is right. Um, there, they finished. Yeah, three 0 It finished. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Leo top seven points. Bratislava six points. The Pharaohs on four points, and I'm just going to call them the Slovenians on no points. Uh, moving to Group B, where we only had one game last night. Ghent five. Braublik nil. Um, the Maccabee Tel Aviv Zori Lahansk game was called off. And Maccabee's participation in the competition is, is in doubt. They may well just have to play all their games away from home, uh, neutral venues and then the away games, obviously. Uh, Group C Balkani won Astana 2, Dinamo Zagreb nil, Victoria Plisson 1. That group has Victoria Pleasant top nine points. Dinamo are second on three. Balkani have three and Astana have three, but they run two through four. 
Club Rouge are top of Group D because last night they went to Lugano and beat them 3-1. Meanwhile, Bodo Glimt beat Besiktas 3-1 in a result that surprised me. Uh, maybe it shouldn't have, but it did. Club Rouge 7, Bodo Glimt 4, Lugano 4, Besiktas 1. Besiktas need to get their act together if they don't want to be dumped out. They're going to need to win at least two of their last three, and maybe they'll need to win all three. Uh, group E then, AZ Alkmaar 1, Aston Villa 5. Villa were brilliant. Then he had five shots in the game, all five were on target, and they scored four of them. Uh, Leon Bailey, Yuri Thielemans, Ollie Watkins, and John McGinn with the goals. Sadiq got a lit, got a consolation goal for AZ, but they were overwhelmed by a vastly superior team. Uh, Mostar 1, Legia Warsaw 2. Good win away from home for Legia. Legia top with six points. Villa have six points. Mostar and AZ Alkmaar both have three. In Group F, Genk nil, Ferenc Varos nil. So much for me saying it would be a good game. But Fiorentina six, Kukariki nil. Uh, Jonathan Ocone and Lucas Martinez-Quarta among the goals there. Uh, Fiorentina top on six points. Ferenc Varos, sorry, on five points. Ferenc Varos also five points. And Genk also five points. They are second and third, respectively. Uh, Kukariki have no points, but still not dead and buried despite three defeats and um, an absolute hiding last night. In Group G, then, Eintracht Frankfurt 6, HJK 0, Aberdeen 2, PAOK 3. Aberdeen were 2-0 up at home and looked like they were on the way to a really good win. And then they threw it away. Uh, PAOK are top on nine points. Eintracht second on six. Aberdeen have one point. HJK have one point. Finally, then, it is Group H. Fenerbahce three. Ludogorets one. Michi Batshuayi with one of the goals there. And Spartak Ternava nil. Nordelsjand 2. So, Fenerbahce top with 9, Nordelsjand next with 6, then Ludogorets on 3, and Spartak Tarnava have no points. Uh, so, let's go into the news. Eddie Howe says there is a high chance Sandro Tonali will be allowed to play against Wolves this weekend, despite the fact that he is said to be banned for 10 months and everybody knows he's being banned for 10 months so it's a bit weird that the Italian FA haven't sent anything official um, this could get a little bit messy we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens um, Gabriel Jesus could miss a few weeks with a muscle injury that would be a big loss to Arsenal his injuries are a concern he's always gets some sort of knock or niggle I think this is the second injury this season but Eddie Nketi is a, is a solid backup, so we'll see how he does. Um, Mines are set to cancel the contract of Anwar, Anwar Al-Ghazi because he had the, the goal to speak out in support of Palestine. Um, I understand that Mines have... A, a strong uh, history with Jewish people. 
But standing against Israel is not standing against Jewish people. It's standing against apartheid, oppression, occupation, war crimes, genocide. That's what it's standing against. It's standing for democracy. And I get that the Germans feel like they have to overcompensate. But what about some compassion for the Palestinian people who the world have failed and continue to fail for 70 years? Shame on minds. Shame on them. Lionel Messi is in the running to be for, to be named MLS Newcomer of the Year. I'd genuinely be stunned if he's not given that award. Uh, Manuel Nauer is set for his return to Bayern Munich 10 months after breaking his leg. Madness. Absolute madness. Broke his leg skiing. Yep, was trying to clear his head after the World Cup. And broke his leg and has missed 10 months of football. Fair play. Fair play. Uh, what else do we have here? Not a whole lot, to be completely frank. Robbie Fowler has been sacked by the Saudi First Division uh, team that he was managing despite going unbeaten with six wins from nine games. Borussia Dortmund's team bus <laughs> is brilliant. Borussia Dortmund's team bus. Got a, a parking ticket. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, it was parked up in time. I think it was 50 euro fine because it was pulled across multiple bays. That is tremendous. Uh, the fine will be reduced to 25 quid if it paid between within 14 days. I'm pretty certain they can afford the 50, so I'd just be charging them the 50. Uh, how do Newcastle not have a place where they can park their bus? That's really weird. Um on to the gossip then. Uh, then we'll go to break. We'll bring in Guy and we'll we'll go through the 10 games. Uh, Saudi Pro League officials have sounded out Manchester City midfielder Kevin De Bruyne about a move to the Middle East in 2024. That is from Peter Rourke. And we can file it firmly in a bin. Newcastle are targeting a January move for Ruben Neves. I don't actually believe that story to be true. Although, Jordi Arabia... I saw someone say it the other day and it made me laugh. It really did make me laugh. Jordi Arabia. Uh, Following Tanali's ban, Newcastle are exploring the possibility of reducing his wages. I actually don't think he should get paid at all because he's been banned for his own actions, which he knew were in contravention uh, with the rules. So... Apparently, Newcastle have to wait for FIFA or UEFA to make it all official, but it has been announced by the Italian FA. But I don't think they should have to pay him at all, personally. Newcastle are considering uh, moves for Scott McTominay and uh, Calvin Phillips. McTominay, they've been linked with before. Phillips is available to everybody. This is Graham Bailey, so it's definitely just crap that he's made up. Chelsea have shown interest in signing Gavi. Right, okay. Chelsea don't need Gavi. A loan move to Saudi Arabia looks the likeliest escape from Manchester United for Jadon Sancho, although Chelsea could be an option with Dortmund not interested. Why would Chelsea need him? They've got loads of wingers. 
Middle Saudi Arabia would be horrible for him. It'd be a horrible thing for him to have to go and do at 23 when he should be making his career. I really hope that doesn't happen. If it does, if it does, then it will it will hammer home Ken Hag's side of it. Sancho needs to force a move to a European club. There will be loads of European clubs that will want a player of his quality. Arsenal have prioritised signing Aurelian Chouameni next summer as they look for a midfielder to play alongside Declan Rice. Now, two things here. Number one, it's very clear they are looking for a six because they've realised that, like I've said all along, Declan Rice is not a six. He's a box-to-box midfielder. He's not good enough as a six defensively. And you waste what he's really good at, which is carrying the ball through the phases. Uh, but there's no chance to getting Chouameni. And also, this is written by Steve Kay for Football Transfers. And again, let me warn you that swearing is necessary here. But that is a pile of steaming bullshit, because that's all Steve Kay ever produces. Uh, Arsenal have also identified Martin Zubamendi as a target. Now, the great thing is this is also a Steve Kay exclusive uh, he's just seen that on Twitter because I've seen a couple of the ITKs in the Arsenal fan base put that one out. So that's where Steve Kay is getting his information when he's not making it up. Liverpool are favourites to sign Ngalo Inacio from Sporting Lisbon. Good. Uh, Fulham defender Tosin Adarabayo is ready to discuss a new long-term contract after seeing boss Marco Silva sign a new deal. That'd be really good. If he signed a new deal there and would stay, I think that's a great place for him. Uh, Newcastle are the latest Premier League club to consider a move for Federico De Marco. They already have three left-backs. I don't understand why they would want another one. It would take a bit of at least £80 for Manchester City to consider selling Julian Alvarez. I don't think they'd sell him at any price, personally. West Ham and Brentford target Serhio Garassi could be available for £15.2 million in January because of a release clause in his contract with Stuttgart, though how 90minute.com would know of such a release clause, I don't know. Um, I talked about him the other day. Sheffield United could sack Paul Heckenbottom if his side lose to Arsenal at the weekend. His side are going to lose to Arsenal at the weekend. They're going to get walloped by Arsenal at the weekend. So saying we're going to sack him if he loses to Arsenal, it's just there's no truth in that. That's the male making something up. There's no club that looks at, no no bad club goes into a weekend and goes, you know what, if we lose to this top three team in the league, we're going to sack the fella. You just sack him the week before. You've just wasted a week, if that's all you're doing. Nonsense. Uh, Mali midfielder Abdoulaye Dekore is set to sign a new contract at Everton until 2025 with an option until 2026. So it's a one-year extension. Chelsea are close, closely following the progress of French defender Lenny Euro. Again, it's 90minute.com. So again, it's probably garbage. It's uh, Tom Gott, who's dreadful, and Graham Bailey, who's an enormous spoofer. There are Premier, Premier League clubs watching him, though. Manager Maurizio Pochettino will have final say on Chelsea's transfers going forward, according to Big Mig Miguel Delaney. Or Miggledy, as <laughs> Miggledy as Dominic Trout likes to call him. Um, Miguel is, is well sourced on these issues. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because the whole thing has been a, a circus. But I guarantee it doesn't happen that way because Bowley will just interfere 
and he'll end up buying players regardless of what Pochettino has to say. Burnley owners ALK Capital Aaron Talks with Dundee over proposals to make the Scottish Premiership side a feeder club. Um, now, are they going to buy the club and make them a feeder club? Are they going to invest in the club and make them a feeder club? Dundee have just been promoted back to the Scottish Premiership, having won the championship last year. They're a proud club. Um, I don't know if they'd necessarily sign up for that. One-time league winner, 1962. European Cup semi-finalists the following year, which hell of an achievement. Um, they've won the Scottish Championship a whole bunch of times because they get, get relegated a whole bunch of times. They've won... One Scottish Cup, three Scottish League Cups. They're a they're a proper club. They're not they're not a club with insignificant history, and they deserve more than just being a feeder club. Now, if it's going to benefit them the other way, where they're going to get uh, get loans for, of players, then fair enough. But they are the club that was once managed by Bob Shankly, Bill Shankly's brother. Uh, and he is their their greatest ever manager, and no surprise, given he's a Shankly, that he did a great job. Um, Dundee is a fascinating football city, in my opinion. Fascinating football city. The two stadiums are literally you could throw a stone from one and hit the other. Well, maybe not a stone. You might. You definitely hit it with a golf ball. You'd hit it with Schlitter. If you played a bit of shanty, you'd hit it with one of them. You could probably kick. You could probably kick a football. And hit one stadium from the other. Because you get the bounce on the road. Might take two or three bounces, but you get there. You hit it with a tennis ball. I'm just naming things now. Um, I reckon... Like, Matthew Stafford might be able to throw an American football and come close from one to the other. It's all really irrelevant. Just making the point. They're very close together. They're literally on the same street. You should look it up. Um, yeah, they deserve better than just being a feeder club. But if it's going to benefit them the other way, then it could be it could be something that works. And uh, then then it's worthwhile for them. But as long as they're just not been turned into basically an academy, that would be a shame. Uh, right, that'll do. That's it. I will... Go to break. When we come back, we'll bring in young Master Drinkle and uh, we'll go through this weekend's game. So see you after this. Right. Welcome back. So I'm joined by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, Guy? It's absolutely tonking it down, Dave. Is it? The sun is shining here. Yeah. For a change, which is nice. Um, But I suppose the rain is better than the ice and snow that you're used to up there in Iceland. Anyway, we have a whole slate of Premier League games starting tonight, running through to Sunday. Disappointingly, no Monday night football and a a weird start time for the main event on Sunday. It's an hour earlier than would be expected. Yeah, that kind of disgusts me. I'm guessing it's a police issue, but it's still... I don't get how an hour would make that much of a difference, but hey-ho. I find it interesting that Greater Manchester Police are more than happy for Manchester United versus Manchester City 
be an afternoon kickoff. But when it's Manchester City versus Liverpool, they can only make it work in the morning. I think that's a little bit odd. But however, uh, we do start tonight. We do indeed. And after the Monday night game, there's a habit of that, isn't there? You play Monday night and then you randomly get a Friday night game if you don't have Europe. It's a bit strange. But anywho, uh, we have Crystal Palace hosting uh, Tottenham, Dave. Um, It's a shame Palace have basically key injuries in their midfield and attack. Because I think this could have been an interesting game, if so. But without your Eze's and your Elise's, there's not many threats to a Tottenham team that have done really well so far this season. Whereas Tottenham, that they're just kind of shining all over the pitch, really. Yeah, Spurs have been great to start the season. And the brand of football Ange has brought there and been able to implement so quickly has been really impressive. Defensively, they've looked strong. The midfield has looked very good. Even when Basuma missed out at the weekend and Heusberg had to come in, they still maintain that strong midfield. And then the attack is really clicking with both Madison and Son making early season cases for team of the year consideration. So all going to plan for Spurs... Uh, this weekend, they will have no Perisic, no Solomon, no Sessegnon, no Bentoncourt, no Whiteman. Davies is a doubt, and Adoiji's a doubt as well. Now, that's the one that could be a bit of an issue, because if he misses out and Davies misses out, well, Sessegnon and Perisic are already out, so they don't have another left-back in the squad. So that could be a bit of an issue. Even if Davies makes it and Adoji doesn't, Davies is a very different type of left-back. He's much more defensive, so it will alter how they play. I wonder, might we see maybe Emerson Royale slides across and plays right, plays left-back? Mm-hmm. He came um, on, didn't he, in the uh, Monday game? That's yeah. So I, I, I think that might be the play if Adoji misses out. Uh, for Palace, they've got... a. a, a a better situation than they had a week ago, but still missing Olise and Eze, which is, you know, the, the main creative players. Uh, no Tompkins, but he wouldn't play anyway. But Dean Henderson is still out, and there's no update on when he might be back. And having spent significant money on him, I'd imagine they're quite anxious to get him back in. Palace has started the season pretty well. They currently sit 11th, which is a good return for them. But, look, Spurs have been the best team in the league so far. And I think Spurs will win this game and extend their lead at the top of the table, at least over the over the weekend. Yeah, but it should... I think it'll be fun, but I can't see Palace winning. Um, but we'll move on to Saturday then. And starting off with Chelsea-Brentford, Dave... Um, it's strange because Chelsea did play well against Arsenal, but then bottled it against Arsenal. So I'm not sure what we take away from that game. Um, and Brentford will pose a very different threat because they won't mind sitting back and counter counterattacking on a team like Chelsea, where Arsenal very much wouldn't uh, won't do that. So I think it it's a game that suits Brentford. But before they beat Burnley last weekend, they were struggling a bit in front of goal. Where do you see this one? Because Chelsea do have a good defence, but 
It's a game tailor-made for Brentford, I think. It's a tough one. It is a tough one. It is a tough one. And, I mean, they haven't had the best start. Neither of these sides have had the best start. But even when Chelsea have won games, they haven't really impressed. Now, their injury situation is getting better. So that's a positive for them. I mean, Fafana will miss the season. Chilwell's out till December. Lavia's out till December. But Nkunku's getting closer. He's probably three weeks away. Brogy is out for a little while, but it's nothing serious. Chalaba's out and Chukwemek is out. But they've gotten a, a, three or four players back in, which will help. If you look at how they've performed thus far, I mean, the Arsenal... The first half against Arsenal is probably the best that they've played. But even that, there was flaws. Even that, there was moments where Arsenal just cut through them quite easily. The Caicedo-Enzo pairing. Individually, I adore both of them. I, I, I think both are brilliant. As a pair, I do just worry that it's not quite dynamic enough. And the dynamism in that midfield right now is coming from Conor Gallagher. But that's attacking dynamism or pressing dynamism. Conor Gallagher is hopeless defensively, like utterly woeful defensively. So when teams can play into that space behind Caicedo and Enzo, they're having some joy in there. And Caicedo, he is quick, but it takes him like two or three steps to get up to speed. Enzo's not quick, but neither of them have that explosive burst that you see from, let's just say, Declan Rice. Like, first step off the line, Rice is moving at full speed. Caicedo takes a little bit longer to get up to speed. Now, I I would estimate his top speed is probably higher than Rice's. He's just not as quick off the line. Um, So that's an area that Brentford maybe could look to hurt them because they'll play with the pacey two up front. So with Mbomo dropping off behind Wissa, maybe he can take advantage of that speed. And then you're running Wissa off the back shoulder of Thiago Silva. And that's an area that that they could have joy. Uh, For Brentford, no Rico Henry, unfortunately, done for the season. Tony and Shade out till January. Uh, De Silva, Baptiste, Damsgaard and Lewis Potter are out. But Aaron Hickey is back, which is a big help. It just feels like a, a draw. An early kickoff on a Saturday. It's a bit of a local derby. They're both West London. I'll go the draw. I'll go 1 1. There's not a whole lot of goals in either team. Neither team are quite as solid defensively as they'd like to think they are. I'll go 1 1. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be interesting either way. Uh, moving on to the three o'clock kickoffs, and we have uh, Bournemouth against Burnley, Dave. Um, We've had reports in the week that if Bournemouth lose this, the manager could lose his job. Just to flip it, flip that onto the other side, do you think there's any danger of Vincent Company be under pressure? I mean, we've seen Heckingbottom job be questioned. We've not really seen it with Company yet, and considering the money spent, they are probably doing relatively the most dire out of the promoted teams. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean... There's been a, a fair bit of talk this week around Bournemouth. Now, I think a lot of that is is in bad faith. I think that a lot of that is is certain people in the media who were so outraged by Gary O'Neill being moved on 
that they're almost hoping for Iraola to fail. Um, obviously, neither of these teams have made a good start. Burnley, defensively, they just look shocking. They're just absolutely all over the place. And Bournemouth, there's just individual errors that are creeping in too often. Against Everton, it was Zarbani. Against um, Wolves, it was Neto and Billing. Mm, well, Lewis the, Cook. The, the, and Lewis Cook with the rush of like The stupidity of that red card. And obviously now he's going to miss out for three games. Uh, Neto, I believe, is out this weekend with an ankle issue, which is an issue because they sent Mark Travers out on loan. Didn't they get um, the interkeeper? And th- that's the thing. They brought uh, in um, Radu. Is Radu? Yeah. yeah. But he hasn't played for them yet. Mm. So, I mean, he's coming in cold. He hasn't, he's been kicking his heels since the summer. Um, he had a pretty good season last year. Two good, two loans that were both fairly decent. He is a good goalkeeper. And I do have a feeling that if he gets a run here, which he may well do if, if Neto's said to be out for four or five weeks, he might not get back in. Captain or no captain, he might not get back in. Uh, Marcondes is out, Fredericks is out, and unfortunately Tyler Adams is out for the foreseeable. Um, Burnley then, injury-wise, you've got no buyer, which is a blow because he's probably the best centre-back at the club. Ekdal is a doubt. Connor Roberts is suspended. uh, Goodmanson is out. Manuel Benson is out. Jakob Brun-Larsen is a doubt, and Obafemi is a doubt. They're just dealing with a lot right now. They need to focus on not conceding so many goals. To be nine games into a Premier League season and have conceded 23 goals is, is genuinely appalling. And it's look, it's not much better for Bournemouth with 20 goals conceded so far. Mm. The best thing both sides could get here is a nil-nil draw. Just get a clean sheet and at least try and take some confidence from that. But I think there's going to be so, there's going to be goals because they both play good football. They've both got good attacking players and neither of them can defend a lick. So I'm going to say 2-2. But Bournemouth, mm. Bournemouth probably need the win here more than Burnley mm. because, because Bournemouth are at home. Yeah, and if those reports are true, Losing to a team like Burnley, who just got beat 3-0 by a struggling Brentford team, it's not going to help. Um, I don't know who they'd go for, but Graham Potter? Or is it time to light the big Sam light in the sky? Who knows? Um, Anyway, we'll move on from that game. Um, Arsenal, Sheffield United, Dave. Um, Arsenal, obviously not the prettiest game last week. Got the goalkeeper dilemma there. You've got... um, Injuries, etc. You've got to manage the uh, Saka uh, continuation of his injury, but ultimately, I don't think any of that matters because Sheffield United just don't have anything to threaten Arsenal with, which is a bit harsh to say, but I think it's just true. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I mean, anything less than the win here is is a full blown disaster for Arsenal. 
Uh, now, Gabriel Jesus has a, has an injury. Arsenal should probably just rest him here. They shouldn't need Gabriel Jesus to beat Sheffield United. Uh, Julian Timber's out for the for the foreseeable. Thomas Partey, they gave him a fake injury during the week to disguise the fact that he couldn't travel to Spain. So I wonder if they'll just keep him out to try and keep up the the charade. Um, but Arsenal should beat Sheffield United comfortably, especially when you look at Sheffield United and they're missing so many players. Mm. Basham out, Ahmed Hodzic out, Degard out, Lowe out, Baldock is a doubt, McBurney's a major doubt, Norrington Davies is out, Egan is out, Davies is out, and Jebison is out. Like that's Basham, Ahmed Hodzic, and Egan are probably their starting three at centre-back. Norrington Davies, I mean, I know they got Luke Thomas, so he's probably the starting left-back, but Norrington Davies is a good full-back as well. Max Lowe's another good full-back. They've actually got four left-backs in the squad, which is all a bit weird to me. But, I mean, they're just they're going to be patching together their defence. Their attack doesn't scare anybody. I mean, mm. maybe... Maybe Ollie McBurney, if he's fit, his height and general awkwardness could cause Arsenal some trouble on set pieces, but that's assuming they get set pieces in dangerous areas. I think Arsenal win this one comfortably. I'll go 4 0 to Arsenal. Yep. Who the hell would play centre back for Sheffield? Robinson and Trusty? Uh, I assume Jack Robinson. I assume Austin Trusty. And in terms of a third one, I mean, maybe Luke Thomas plays centre-back and Yasser Larushi plays left wing-back, maybe. But, I mean, that's... That sounds awful. That sounds dreadful. It genuinely does. Maybe one of these kids, uh, Sariki, Hackford, Bayubu, are any of them centre-backs? No, wing-back. He's a Ford. I don't know why he's this... There, there's two wing backs and a forward there. Um, I genuinely don't know. I genuinely don't know what they're going to do. They might have to push Vinicius Sousa back into centre back, but then you're weakening your midfield as well. And you can't maybe, really play a four at the back with Robinson. No, maybe. I mean, George Baldock is a bit small, but maybe he slides in at the right side centre back. With Trusty in the middle, Robinson on the left, and you go with Bogle and Larushi as the wing backs. That's horrible. I mean, that's that's a mid table championship defense, let alone that's a good championship defense. It's four fullbacks. And and Austin Trusty. And like I, I don't know how good Austin Trusty is. He's only played four times in the Premier League. He was decent last year in the championship for Bor- for Birmingham. I know that much. He came from Arsenal, didn't he? Yes, he did. He never played for them. Life savings, he's scoring. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) But it'll probably be an own goal. Um, 5-1, he scores. Yeah, it's it's going to be a (laughs) tonk. It's going to be a tonking. Yeah. Um, To the uh, late kickoff on the Saturday then. Um, Wolves against Newcastle, Dave. I think if we discussed this game maybe even a month ago, maybe two months ago, you'd think probably quite boring because Newcastle obviously struggling and Wolves were like they're probably in the relegation mix 
But now, maybe Newcastle injuries aside, I mean, Wolves are starting to play good football. Neto's looking like one of the best wingers in the league. Um, Cunha's kind of finding his feet, maybe not in front of goal, but he's playing well. Um, Kaladzic is basically the best super sub in the league at the minute. Um, whereas Newcastle, I think Isaac's injured, unfortunately, but you've still got Wilson, Gordon, as much as I hate him, but he's starting to show why they paid all that money for him. Um, midfield's fun, probably a bit more balanced without Tonali, but that's probably a discussion for another day. Um, so I think this is a much more fun fixture than what we probably thought coming into the season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the start of the year, there's no doubt Newcastle will have looked at this and thought, yeah, that's a, that's a win. But Wolves are better than expected. I think Newcastle are a little worse than expected, though they have had a decent start. They're still in sixth in the league. The issue for Newcastle is they have so many injuries right now. No Harvey Barnes, no Elliot Anderson, no Isak, no Botman, which is huge. Tonali, I mean, according to Eddie Howe this morning, they haven't had any official confirmation yet of the ban. Right. So they're preparing to play him, which, I mean, you know he's getting the ban. So what are you doing? Um, No Lewis Miley, no Jacob Murphy. Wolves, on the other hand, no Hugo Bueno, wouldn't make a difference. Lamina and Semedo are both back. Now, Bellegarde is a doubt, but I I don't think he's in their best 11. Um, I fancy Wolves to, to spring the upset here. Like you mentioned, like the form that Neto is in, you're telling me Dan Byrne is the man to stop him? Cunha's playing really well. And without Botman, Newcastle are forced to play Jamal Lachelle's. In every game as well. In every game. Literally every game. So that's a weak point as well. Now, they could move Byrne to centre-back and play Matt Target. They could play Lewis Hall. But I I just fancy Wolves to, to get the win here. Callum Wilson is the, the big threat, but Newcastle have, in, in recent weeks, have started to go a little bit more direct. And Wolves are playing with three big centre-backs who are all fairly commanding in the air. And, like, Dawson loves it if you go direct against it. Absolutely adores it. So perhaps that feeds into their hands. With Semedo back and Lamina back, I think that that really does strengthen this Wolves team makes them a lot harder to break down. I'm going to go 2-1 to Wolves. I, I think Neto's going to have another really impressive game here. He's just, at the moment, he's a little bit unstoppable. Cooney is playing really well. Uh, Nuri is showing his best stuff. I was so impressed at the weekend with what I saw from Tommy Doyle when he came on. I think Joe Gomes is a really talented midfielder. And the one that is standing out to me right now is Bubakar Traore. Uh, he was brilliant at the weekend against Bournemouth. Absolutely dominated the midfield area. So I think they'll put it up to them in midfield as well. So yeah, I'm going to go for the Wolves The Wolves win. 2-1 to Wolves. Yep, it'd be a very good opportunity for them to play uh, an injury hit Newcastle team. I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Um, moving on to Sunday then, uh, I think this is the first televised game. We have West Ham against Everton. Um, I know West Ham obviously got tonked 
last week by Villa. And they got beat by Olympiacos last night, I think, didn't they? Um, they did so indeed. they'll be eager to get back in the win column. And to be honest, Dave, I mean, Everton obviously want to right the wrong of Craig Parson winning the Merseyside Derby last weekend. Um, <laughs> but I just, I just don't see it. I mean, West Ham, albeit two losses back to back, I don't see how someone like Calvert Lewin against Zuma, maybe against Degard, but Zuma's one of the best defenders in the air in the league. Mm. And I don't see how defensively. I think the only issue with West Ham is Antonio's so important, but he's not. He's not he's a not goal scorer. He, yeah, he's not what not he was a, a few years ago. They need Bowen to, to be that primary mm. goal scorer. They need Antonio is is to them what Firmino was to Liverpool. And Bowen is what Salah is to Liverpool. Like that primary goal scorer from a wide area. The issue is they don't have that other goal scorer, that Sadio Mane type. Now, I think Mohamed mm. Kudus could be that if they played him on the left. So if you went Bowen right, Paqueta 10... And Kudu's left with then Antonio up front. I think that could be a very good front four. But it, the other issue with Antonio is he just has weeks when he's just gone awful. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they do because they keep playing Paquetta on the left, don't they? Yeah. Don't... It's it's to get it's because they want to, he wants Suchek is playing well this season. Ward Prowse is playing well this season. He wants both of them in the team, and Alvarez has to be in because he's the best midfielder they have. So it only leaves them with three other spots because Moyes isn't brave enough to just play Ward-Prowse and Alvarez as a two. Ward-Prowse and a two is never ideal anyway, but Hmm. if you wanted to be brave, that's the two. This, of course, to many people would be the David Moyes derby. Uh, To me, it's the David Unsworth derby. Um, No Deli Ali, no Seamus Coleman, no Andre Gomes and no Ashley Young. For the Ev, which means that they have to play their best defence, which is Patterson, Tarkovsky, Branthwaite and Michaelenko. Uh, So that actually helps them. They've got a decent midfield. They're okay in attack. They've got good players, but West Ham have better players. Now, West Ham will have no Emerson Palmieri. Soufal is a doubt, but he should be okay. But Ben Johnson is back anyway, so they'll still be okay at right back. Left back is the concern. It likely means Cresswell plays. And that does weaken them a little bit. But I just, I have a tough time seeing West Ham lose three in a row. I think they'll win. I think West Ham go there and win. I'll go 2-1 to West Ham. God, I just remembered West Ham and play T.O. Care. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. What a cra- what a this game had, at the unusual and rarely seen 1pm kickoff on a Sunday as well. Which isn't normal. Um, it, is Liverpool the only team that can't get random kickoff times? It's so strange. Uh, what an odd bunch. I mean, I don't mind it, but anyway, thing is, that's at one, probably for TV reasons. And yeah, the others are still at two. Let me get let me get my work done on Sunday early. Anyway, um, two o'clock kickoffs. Uh, Villa against Luton, Dave. Um, I mean, Villa at home, I mean, to be fair, the job Unai Emery's, uh, um, Unai Emery's done is just fantastic. You look at the transformation in players, Ollie Watkins is probably the best example. I think it's mm-hmm. most uh, goals plus assists in 2023, except Haaland and Salah. 
that's pretty good company for a bloke who used to not be able to hit a barn door. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not bad at all. I mean, last night they went away to Azel Alkmaar. It was seemingly a tough game. They only had five shots in the game, but they got them all on target and scored four goals. Um, that's pretty impressive. Now, you might you might ask some questions of Matt Ryan, former Brighton goalkeeper. But uh, all things considered, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty good turnaround. Look, they've been great since Emery took over. There's, there's just no way around it. They've been great. They're a top four team in the league since Unai Emery took over. And we are now approaching the one-year mark of Unai Emery as Aston Villa manager. He took over in the next international break. Um, actually, no, he took over before the World Cup. So his official start date was the 1st of November. Mm. So it, it, they, had a, they had a couple of weeks of uh, interim, didn't they? Yes, uh, Hans or something was the guy's name. Yeah. Uh, Jared was sacked the 21st of October. There was 10 days, basically, till Emery took over. So we're in that type of space from last year. But they've been brilliant. Like, they've been genuinely brilliant. The, the turnaround, considering they were a relegation team when Gerard was there, like, in the, the games Gerard oversaw, they were dreadful. They they won two and drew three while losing six of their nine games under Gerard last season in the league. Uh, obviously, there was a game cancelled as well. But they went on to finish seventh with 61 points. They took 52 points from the 27 games that Unai Emery was in charge for. And then you look at it this season, 19 from nine. Like, very, very close 71 points from 36 games. So you're, you're basically at two points a game, which is 76 points over a season. We expect them to win this weekend. This is game 37 uh, for Emery in the Premier League. Assuming they win that 74 points from 37 games, bang on uh, two points a game. And then... Their next game after this is Nottingham Forest away, which they'll be favourites to win. Like, that is top four form over an entire season's worth of games. And it's probably third It's third place last season, third place the year before, second place the year before that, third the year before, third the year before, and it'd be joint third the year before, goal difference depending. Like, that's six seasons where they're basically, you know, they'd be a third-place team. Of the last 10, there's only one season that they would definitely not have finished in the top three, but they would have finished in the top four. That's a staggering turnaround for a team that looked hopeless under Steven Gerrard. And I know he spent some money, but he hasn't spent massive amounts of money. Like this past summer, Pau Torres, Musa Diaby, and a loan for Zaniolo, and a loan for Clement Longley as well. In January, they signed Moreno. You're still looking at, you know, less than 100 million. They brought in uh, Yuri Thielemans on a free, but you're looking at less than 100 million. That's a hell of a turnaround to go from a bottom three team to a top three team. Not, not all of them have 
stars as well. Taylor no. obviously already kind of bitching a bit in the media about it. Zaniolo's in and out. Moreno's been out of the team because he was hurt, and now mm. Dean is playing well, so he'll probably stay in. Torres is is a starter, and well, that's because Ming's got injured more than anything. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I, my assumption is he was bought to replace Mings anyway. Mm. He probably would have been eased in though. Yeah, but yeah, he would have been eased in, and I mean, like they've dealt with some injuries too, because like you mentioned, like Mings has been out. Even if he's not a starter, it's an important squad player. Buendia's has got an ACL tear as well. Moreno, I'm fairly certain he's missed the whole. Has he played at all this season? I don't remember him playing unless he played the Europa. No games this season. Hasn't played this season. And Jacob Ramsey has barely featured this season. Jacob Ramsey only played three games, two sub-appearances in the league. So they haven't even had him. He's one of their best players. Like and And yet they're performing... This well, this is the best managerial job in Europe over the last 12 months, without without question. I mean, you could point at maybe Spalletti at Napoli, but then they did tail off towards the end of last season. They had the title wrapped up. They did, did nothing to play for, but they did tail off, and he's gone now. So you're talking about six months back to April when he was really his 12-month spell had kind of ended. I just, just there's nobody from up, from November 1st of last season, of last year, to, no, to where we are now, nobody has done a better job anywhere in Europe than this guy. And it's about time people started to put some respect on his name. And if you look at what Villa have done this year, I mean, they got hammered by Liverpool. They got hammered by Newcastle. And other than that, only Wolves away has seen them drop points. They've battered West Ham. They battered Brighton. They battered Everton. They beat Burnley 3-1. It could have been 5 or 6. They've been so impressive. They went to Chelsea and won. They've been so impressive this season. And I, I, I think they might be a team that can sneak into the top four this year. I don't think they'll maintain this form going forward. Like I don't see them doing two years of this level, but you look at the next three games, Luton home, Forest away, Fulham home. That's seven, maybe nine points. Then they go to Spurs. That'll be really tough. Then it's Bournemouth home. Then they get Arsenal and sorry, City and Arsenal both back to back at home. Would you be shocked if they won one of those? I certainly wouldn't be. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they went unbeaten through those two at home because Emery is so good at home. I just think he's done an incredible job. They're a fun team to watch as well. There's some interesting tactical quirks with how they play. Diaby's been exceptional since they signed them. Zaniolo has really started to show some form. McGinn is playing well. Like I said, they've got Ramsey to come back in. Leon Bailey's playing well. Like Leon Bailey, he's getting a tune out of. Leon Bailey's one of the most frustrating players in the world, but Emery's getting a tune out of him. That double pivot in midfield are among the very best in the league. Konza and Torres have looked great together. Cash is playing well. Dini is playing well. They've got a, a top class goalkeeper. Like, you're only looking at two players who weren't in the team under Gerrard. 
Torres and Diaby. All the rest of them were there. And look at the turnaround. It's 100% on the manager. I'm, I'm going to back them to win comfortably here. Luton, no Anderson, no Potts, no Laconga, no Clark, no Bell, no Burke, and no hope in my view. I'm going 4-0 to the Villa. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, it's a struggle with Luton. Obviously, good comeback last weekend, but um, I think Villa's just another another good few rungs up from Forest. Um, quick question before we move on to the next game. Where would you put Emery in terms of managerial ranking? Third behind Pep and Klopp? In the league right now? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't... I don't see anybody else that would be above him. I mean, Ange doesn't have the the track record in Europe to put above him. Arteta has won nothing other than an FA Cup. Uh, it wouldn't yeah, be Eddie Howe, wouldn't be De Zerbe. He hasn't. He hasn't got the CV. Certainly not going to be Ten Hag. I think Moyes is, is a top 10 manager, but he wouldn't be much higher than maybe seventh or eighth at most. Hotch would be one you'd have to consider, but Emery has, has a better CV than him. And nobody from the bottom half is going to be in the conversation. I think outside of Pep and Klopp, Unai Emery is the best manager in the league. And I, and I don't think it's all that controversial to say it. I know the Arteta stands will, will fight his corner, but like, what's he won? What has he actually won? Nothing is the answer, folks. An FA Cup before he started to spend all the money. He won the FA Cup with Unai Emery's team. That's what he won, with a team that Unai Emery had built. And he won it playing a style of football that wasn't a whole lot removed from what Emery had been playing. They were very defensive when they won that FA Cup. They set out to spoil games against the top clubs. And I think he's only outdone Emery's points total at Arsenal last season? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, if you... If you look at Arsenal, obviously this season they've started well again. They're, what, two points ahead of Villa thus far this season, which is obviously, uh, you know, it's not nothing, but it's one game. It can swing very quickly. They've had an easier run than, than Villa as well. And... Last season, from when Emery took over, it's, it's there's not that big a gap between what Arsenal took and what Villa took. Uh, Arsenal had, had had such a lead on them by the time Emery took over. Like when Emery takes over, Arsenal already have thirty one points. Uh, Villa had, I think, twelve. Was that what I said? Twelve. Yes. Was it even 12? I think it was 12. So, like, you know, there there was a 19-point gap to begin the season, or to to begin the run, and by the end of the the campaign, the gap was 23. So he took four points more than, than Emery over last season, two points more this season. That's six points over... 36 games. And Arsenal apparently are title challengers and Villa are Europa League team, Conference League team. Arteta has spent 600 million 
and three years building that team, Emery is a hundred million and a year into his team. One preseason as opposed to three. Actually, Arteta's three and a half years in at Arsenal. But, you know, that's not a big gap considering how short a time Emery's been in. And the fact that Arteta took over a decent team and Emery took over a dumpster fire. Like, the guy's done an outstanding job. Um, Yeah, 4-0. 4-0 to the Villa. Yeah, excellent job by uh, Emery. Uh, But we'll move on to the Brighton-Fulham game. Obviously, Fulham announced uh, Marco Silva signing a new deal. Probably a bit surprised by that, considering the kind of weird state they're in. But anywho, um, Brighton, bit weird at the minute, Dave. Their defence is so bad, but then, like, even the second half against City, they did test them quite a bit, got a goal back, and uh, beat Ajax last night, which isn't isn't impressive anymore. <laughs> but it's still, it's still, I think, their first win in Europe, so they yeah. get over that hurdle, um, whether it's against a relegation uh, Eredivisie team, which is very, it's so it's, weird. It's bizarre. It's, it's so bizarre. weird. They're so bad, it's just... It's almost, it feels like we're in a different world that Ajax, because like, like, let's be fair, right? You look at the Eredivisie, PSG are good, not great. Alkmaar are second. Villa walloped them last night. Fine order, pretty good. 20 are okay. And then it's garbage. Lots and lots of garbage. And underneath almost all of that garbage, you find Ajax. Five points from seven games in the league. Five points. How is that even possible at Ajax? Next week's nostalgia is just should just be a deep dive at how this has happened at Ajax. I I think it's going to have to be. I think I'm going to focus in on Ajax for next week's nostalgia pod because it's we need to remind people of who this club is. It's not like they're it's a crap squad. Ruley's a decent goalkeeper. Wrench and Hatter were two of the best young defenders anywhere you'll find. Kenneth Taylor is good. Bergvine is good. Brobby is good. I, I, I question the logic in signing uh, Chupa Akpom. How dare you? Um, not, not, not for any other reason other than he's just turned 28. When you're Ajax, your model now has to be buy, develop, and sell. There's no resale value for them in buying him. Because come next left. summer, he'll be pushing 29. He only had a year left at Borough as well. So and they paid us. Quite a, yeah. yeah, they paid a side of money for him. Um, Mansverk is a good midfielder. Borna Sosa is a really good left back. Gaston Avia is a good player. Sitalo's a good player. Like, it's not a vintage Ajax squad. Nobody looked at that squad pre-season and thought, yeah, they're winning the league this year. That was a squad, though, that should have just just kind of sailed in to third. That was the expectation. PSV will be better. Feyenoord will be better. Ajax will finish third. But they'll be a comfortable third. Now they'll be lucky to finish fifth. Now, they're lucky that there's so much dross in the league, but pre-season should have been a, a concern for them. Mm. They drew with Den Bosch. They beat Shakhtar. 
They lost to Anderlecht 3-0. They beat a German team I've never, ever heard of who play, I think, in the non-league. Oh, what? Nice. I could be wrong. Hang on. What division are they in? They're in... They're in the third division in Germany. They beat what? them 5-3, right? What they team beat them is it? Uh, not that... No, Never no, heard of them. No. They got they got beaten 3-1 by Augsburg. They got beaten 3-1 by Dortmund. And they lost at home to go-ahead Eagles. And then they've just been... like they, they won their first league game. Then they drew two. And it's just been a mess ever since. Um, now, they are technically 3-2 up on Walwick in a game that has about 10 minutes left in it that was abandoned because... The Walwick goalkeeper was was hit with something. I don't know what happened. He some medical emergency. Um, so that game has to be replayed. But they lost twenty, lost to Feyenoord, lost to AZ, lost to Utrecht. They've got PSV this weekend. The PSV are winning the league or are top of the league. Like they they struggled through in the knockout phase of this competition past Ludogorets. They drew at Marseille, drew at Athens, and then lost last night. Like. They've just been so so poor, and that that squad is better than than so so poor. How has and their like, manager not been? Has he been sacked? He's been sacked, Jen. Oh God, I've got to say. Um, they've got uh, Hedwiges Maduro in as the caretaker manager. Um, it remains to be seen who they, who they bring in. Yeah, I, if I was them, I'd be throwing the money at Graham Potter. And if Graham Potter is smart, that's the type of job he'd look for. It's a big, big club, but there's less expectation than there would be at Chelsea or Arsenal or United or wherever. Uh, it's certainly in the short term. There's a great academy. There's a history of playing attractive football. So you would walk in and you'd have players that would fit what you want to do. And I think it, it could possibly work out well for him. It is worth noting that former Liverpool sporting director Julian Ward agreed to take the Ajax job in the summer and then very quietly, like two weeks later, before he was due to start, turned it down. Yeah, That's a little bit unusual. And mm-hmm. they still haven't appointed. I think, was it, was did Mislin Tat go there? He got sacked the other week. Yeah, he got sacked as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He went in. Because there was something dodgy about the Bonner Sosa deal, wasn't there? Something about because he yes. was at Stuttgart. Yeah, he owned. So um, on the 24th of September, Mislintat was fired due to a lack of support in the club. While he was being investigated, whether he had a conflict of interest when he bought a player for Ajax through a brokerage in which he has a share. So basically, he used an agency that he's got a stake in. Um, the bottom line is Borna Sosa is a really good left back, but that's that's a little bit shady. But at the same time, they, they only appointed him in the summer. He's gone already. The manager, I mean, I don't know what to make of, of him because we didn't see a whole lot of him. But they're just a mess top to bottom. But for to, to go back to Brighton, you, you nailed it. It's their first win in Europe. 
Like, that's a monumental thing for Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. This is a club where I used to have a season ticket where you were watching games at an athletic stadium. Like, this was a club that were on the brink of extinction multiple times in my lifetime. You know, like, they've been through absolute horrors in the 90s, the 2000s. Everything was wrong with them. The football was utterly dire. The players were largely garbage. They had a, a, a spell playing at Priestfield, Priestfield Stadium, which is in fucking Gillingham, which isn't close to Brighton at all. They played at the Goldstone Ground, which is just, it's dreadful. Like, utterly dreadful that they were still playing there into the 90s. That stadium should have been condemned in, like, the 60s. Everything that could have gone wrong for that club did go wrong. Over and over and over again, everything went wrong for them. Like, when I had the season ticket, I was going to the Whitdean Stadium. That is an athletic stadium. It is not a football stadium at all. It's horrible to watch football. It's all completely open. If it rains, you're getting absolutely pissed on. The pitch is miles away. And the the football was dreadful. It was a horrible, but it it was great fun. We didn't go to watch the football. We went to chat to our mates. The, you might like the, there were literally games where I found out the result as I was leaving because I'd paid no attention at all. It was just more, a, you know, a community thing. If it was hanging out with your mates over Saturday, it was something to go and have a bit of fun with. You just were laughing at the fact that this was this was where you were on a Saturday, getting absolutely pissed on. Uh, you know, the, the nice English winters are not kind to stadiums that don't have roofs. But now they're they're a remarkable club. They've got a great stadium. They've got a good academy, which they didn't used to have. They've got the best scouting system in in the world. Their owner is, I think, what every club wants their owner to be. They play brilliant football. They've got one of the best up-and-coming managers in Europe. They've got a squad full of, like... Verbruggen, João Pedro, Inciso, Beliba, Matoma, Adingra, Ferguson, Buenanote, Ansu Fati in on loan, Purvis Estupinen, Lewis Dunk, like Milner, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Man, if you talk, you're bullying, by the way. Poor James Milner. Like, that's unfair what Jeremy Doku did to him. But there's like, I, I I listed a bunch of players there that they bought for, you know, varying fees from, you know, 5 million to 30 million. They're all players they're going to make huge amounts on. Huge amounts on. Not 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 Duncan Milner and that, but like everybody up to a stupid. They, they'll make huge amounts of money on. And they'll they reinvest. They Dunk for like 40 million, let's be honest. They could. They could. Absolutely they could. You don't think that... If Lewis Dunk was in the market, David Moyes would be straight in for him. Of course he would. Mm. Lewis Dunk's a good defender. But, like, they're, they're, they're such... 
they're a completely different club to the club that I knew and spent time with. Uh, Lewis Dunk and Solly March. No, Solly March came after. Lewis Dunk is the only player there who was there when I used to go. Lewis Dunk has been there that long. Um, and I remember thinking, like, oh, he'll have a good championship career. <laughs> he's a pretty good... They were League One at the time. I remember thinking he looked like a... You know, he's a championship player. He's too good for this level, so he'll go up a level. And he did. And then he went up another level. And then he established himself as a good Premier League defender. Now he's England's probably fourth, sort of book. Yeah, but he, sh- he should be higher, really. Mm. You know, like, it- it's just... It's crazy. Like, he he's literally... Him and the fans are the only connection with the old Brighton. It's basically an entirely new club. And it's brilliant to see. And I, I love watching them. And I hate when we're on at the same time as them because I'd much rather watch them than anybody else in the league. So when we play, I obviously have to watch us play. So if I'm going to watch another game that day, I want it to be Brighton. But when Brighton are on at the same time as us, I don't get to see them. Uh, so I'll have to watch it like late Sunday night or or maybe on Monday. Um, they're playing Fulham. Fulham have no Tosin, no Traore, no Tete, and no Diop. Brighton, no Enciso. They're they're now saying, or he's now saying, he hopes to be back in December which is massive. And I'm so excited to have him back because I, he's one of my favorite players to watch. He was class last season. So much fun. So much fun. Uh, Jakob Motor, they're now saying he could be back next month. That's massive. That poor kid's been out the better part of two years with that knee injury. More. Yeah, no, two years. Been about two years with that knee injury. Estupinen's about a week away. Lamptey's about a week away. Welbeck is out and Solly March is out. And Solly, it could be a little while before he's back. But they're pretty close to full strength. Estupin and being back for them will be huge. As soon as he's fully back fit, that'll be huge for them. Until then, I'm not really sure what they'll do. I mean, they can play Igor at left back. He, he you know, he's he's comfortable there. Last night it was Milner who played left back. Uh, it wasn't great by any stretch, but we'll see. We'll see what they do. Um, Fulham, Fulham are an odd team. Like you said, they, they've had a weird season. The manager signing an extension is great news for them, but it, it's all a bit weird. You'd guess they must have promised him. We'll buy you striker at least. Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna spend in January, and we'll spend again next summer. They've got they to were, promise them that. They were linked with um, what's his name, Garassi from Stuttgart. Yeah, 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 he's had that great start to the season. Mm. So we'll see. They've also been linked with Santiago Jimenez of Feyenoord. Um, Mind, I read a thing they want like Anthony money for him. So you know, yeah, more than likely that's the, uh, the thing. Is though. They're Feyenoord. Like, they're not Ajax. They don't have they don't have the juice, really, to hold on to them for that they long. Have a, they don't have a stupid manager at Man United. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um, but, I mean, <clears throat> he's, he's a player who's spoken about how Raul Jimenez is a big inspiration for him and has mm. been a mentor for him in the Mexican national squad. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if Jimenez is in his ear over the next international break. If he is a player that they want, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Jimenez is in his ear. He's having a ferocious season. 15 and 11 in all competitions, uh, 13 and 9 just in the league. I, I really like him. I think he's going to be a top, top striker. So uh wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he was the one. He's the one I'd go for if I was them. You know, even if you had to pay 35 to 40 for him, I think he'll return that investment for you. I mean, what did they get for Mitrovic? 50? That's a good question. Mitrovic, it was in and around that, Mark. I mean, they only and spent 20 on a Warby, didn't they? But they've still got, what, a 60 mil guarantee on Polina, let's be honest. That's the thing. They have big money to, that they can cash in him for. They got 50 million for Mitrovic, which, you know, if we're all being honest... Is great uh, value for twenty nine. Yeah, he's a twenty nine year old who had one year left in his deal. Now he's he's he started well at, at Al Halil. He's got eleven goals in twelve games, playing against the plumbers and the school teachers. Um, and he's earning a fortune. So hopefully he's happy that he's kind of given up his career at the age of twenty nine, or he was twenty eight at the time actually. And the best of luck to him. And uh, this weekend, I'm picking a Brighton win. I think this will be a fun game, but I'm going to go three one to Brighton. Yep, should be fun. Um, next up, we have the Liverpool game, which is them hosting Forest. Um, obviously, last season Forest did beat Liverpool, but these are two very different teams. Obviously, Forest missing a warning who caused Liverpool nightmares that day, um, and Liverpool actually have like a midfield and stuff now, so that helps. Um, I'd back Liverpool, Dave, but I think Forrest do pose some threats. Obviously, Liverpool's fullbacks is probably their weakness because, well, one player's in midfield and one's injured. Um, and Forrest have 7,000 wingers. Yeah, the question is how brave are Forrest when they come downfield? I, I have a feeling they'll they'll come and just be really solid, really compact. They're missing a few players... No Hudson Odoi, no Origi, no Danilo, no Felipe, no Montiel. Awani is is looks looks like he's out, and Nuno Tavares will see if he's available. Uh, for Liverpool, no Robertson, no Jones is suspended, no Besetic, no Thiago. So Liverpool's team should pick itself: Allison, Trent, Canate, Virgil, Costas, Dominic, Alexis, and Gravenberg. Mm-hmm. And then Salah, Darwin, Diaz. The Forest team is harder to predict. I'm going to guess it's Turner. Probably mm. Aurier. He, he's been first choice this year. He's fucking dreadful, though, so it's probably him. Uh, swearing was necessary there. That's how bad he's been. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Tafolo on the left. If he goes back three, I think he goes Bolly. Worrell and maybe Niakata as I think about it. Midfield then Mangala Sanger and uh, Rodriguez. Is it Rodriguez? Dominguez. Dominguez, sorry. Dominguez. Nicholas Dominguez. Rodriguez is Guido Rodriguez that I was thinking of from Real Betis. Another Argentine. And I think you'll go Wood and Gibbs White as a like one off the other, but he could bring in Alanga and leave out one of the centre backs, which would be a braver move. I'd Either way, I'd leave out Wood to be honest. 
if you do see that. so would I because what's the point in lumping long balls in when Liverpool have Van Dijk and Canate you're not winning anything um, I'm going to pick 3-1 to Liverpool I think Liverpool will win the game yeah it could be fun but Liverpool should if the title content or second contenders let's go with um, should be winning that game but moving on to the big one Dave and that is the Manchester derby and I say big one other than magic and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer nostalgia, I don't see how Man United win this game. No, neither do I. I mean, City are just a class above United. Uh, they're actually, they're multiple classes above United. And United, I mean, there's, they've been so lucky in the league this year. Like every single win has had a large amount of fortune to go with it in the league this season, bar maybe the Burnley game, which, you know, they weren't even particularly good in that game. They were unlucky away to Arsenal. I'll give them that. But they've been really lucky in the Champions League as well. Like they're literally riding their luck and they're still garbage. And this weekend, no Martinez, no Malasia, no Shaw. But Regulon is back, so at least they have a left back. Juan Bissaka is out. Casemiro is a doubt. Sancho is suspended. And uh, Ahmed Diallo is, is injured. So a lot of injuries. Some key injuries, but they're just not very good. City, no KDB, and Kanji is suspended. So you'd imagine City will line up with something like Ederson and goal, Walker, Diaz and Gvardiol as a three with Stones playing next to Rodri as the midfield two. Mm-hmm. And then Alvarez and Haaland will be the front two. And then maybe it's Bernardo, Foden and Doku as the kind of the attacking midfield three. That'd be my guess. Could play Matthias Nunes if he wants a bit more physicality in there somewhere. A bit more running power from midfield. Do you need that, though? No, no, you don't, because United's midfield is dog slow. Um, I don't see how United win this game. Look, City haven't been great this season. By their own high standards, they've just been average. But last season, they were only average up until February. And then they decided to turn it on and they won a treble. And that's the thing with this City team. They've reached such a level that they can be average and they're still, what are they, third in the league on goal difference? No, they're second in the league ahead of Arsenal on goal difference. For some reason, I thought they were behind Arsenal on goal difference. They're second in the league, two points behind Spurs. Spurs are playing about as well as they're capable of playing. And City haven't had KDB all year and haven't gotten out of second gear. And their gears go all the way to seven. So if City decide to turn it on, even in in a spell against United, they'll wipe the floor with them. United have only scored 11 goals this season. Through nine games, Manchester United have a negative goal differential. And it's not like they've been great defensively. 13 goals conceded. That's more than... Tottenham, City, Arsenal, 
Liverpool, Newcastle. It's the same as Villa, who've been hammered twice. It's more than Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Brentford, and Nottingham Forest. So it's not even that they're good defensively and they're garbage going forward. The only teams they've scored more more than are the bottom five, Sheffield United, Bournemouth, Burnley, Luton, Everton, Fulham, who don't have a striker other than Jimenez, who's a shell of himself, and Crystal Palace. Like, they're a bottom half team, whatever way you want to look at it. Manchester United are a bottom half team. They're very, very fortunate that they currently sit eighth. It is by pure fluke that they sit eighth. If results had gone based on performances, they'd be about 15th. Like, they've been dreadful. Truly, truly dreadful. And I think City will take them apart. I'm going to go... It's at Old Trafford, isn't it? It is is indeed, yeah. We're going to go 4-1 to City. Haaland to run amok. I said 5-1, so United are probably going to win, though. Yeah, they're going to win 1-0, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They're going to win 1-0. Haaland's going to have one one of those games where it looks like he's got his feet on the wrong way. Not his boots. Not his boots on the wrong way. His actual feet, because obviously he's a cyborg. Mm. And I just assume that when he goes home of an evening, his dad powers him down, disassembles him, you know, shines everything up, puts it into cushioned boxes and stores it. And then the next morning he carefully puts it back together again and turns them on and then sends his son out for work. And I think there's some games where he puts his feet on the wrong way or he puts his head on to the side or something. And there when you see him have the stinkers, but if he puts the feet on the right feet this time around, he's going to wipe the floor with United. United will have no, no way of dealing with him. And here's the thing. After this game, if United lose, United fans will list the players that were absent and the first player they'll mention is Martinez. And what we know is that Martinez would not be playing in this game anyway because what Haaland did to him at the Etihad last season and then we saw him get left out of the home game when City beat, when United beat City, he wouldn't have played Martinez anyway because he hides him from these type of games. Um, yeah, 4-1 to City. That's what we're going with, and that's where we leave it. That is our 10 Premier League matches, plus some rambles on a lot of things, as is always the way. So we'll be back on Tuesday, because Monday is a bank holiday in Ireland, and therefore I could not be expected, surely, to work. Uh, I'm also just not allowed to work on the bank holiday Monday, because I've been told that I'm not, so... There's that. Um, but I'll be back Tuesday and uh, we should be we should be here then from Tuesday through. So take care of yourselves. Enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.